SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Merriam-Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster (laughs) used some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand. The only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora ain't just your average boring dictionary-defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, they sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks, and we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850+, plus, their best-selling honey. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not <laughs> what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if, like, a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. It's, I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And mm-hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 plus Manuka honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's manukora.com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. Hello, and welcome to SciShow Tangents, the lightly competitive knowledge showcase starring some of the geniuses that make the YouTube series SciShow happen when the Hank's away, the Sam will play edition. Whoa. Part two. (laughs) I'm Sam, the host this week, because Hank is gone. And this week, as always, we're joined by Stefan Chen. Hey, how's it going? Stefan, what's your favorite dessert? Right now, I'm really crushing on alternative ice creams. Oh, like mm. coconut? So like, yeah, coconut mm-hmm. or the almond milk. Coconut's just, good. Uh, yeah, yeah. We're also joined by Sari Riley. Yep, I'm how, here. How are you? <laughs> tired. <laughs> you have I'm a sleeping just, cap on. Yeah, I'm always tired. I got a blanket. I do have, you do have a my blanket. office yeah. Snuggie. It has like a oh, pouch. Oh, it has a pocket Wait, it. do you have arms? I do have arms well, and my yes. Snuggie has arms <laughs> also. Are you typing with that thing? Is that what's going on there? In yeah, the when I'm really cold. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, during the winter times when the garage that I work in, in these working conditions, <laughs> too cold. It's a finished garage. Yeah, it is. A- <laughs> <laughs> it looks like a fleece-lined wizard's robe. Ooh. Yeah, that's Very grand. I have never described myself as grand while wearing this, but thank you. <laughs> you should. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you look that grand. What's your uh, favorite dessert? 
I really like like fudgy cakes. I don't know what they're called. Like lava cakes? cakes, lava cakes. Oh. The ones that are volcanoes, but with chocolate. With the inside. stuff inside of them? Yeah. Those are pretty good. Yeah. Also, this week, again, we're joined by Deboki Chakravarti, Saisho Tangents, editorial assistant, and the host of the upcoming Crash Course Organic Chemistry. Hello, Deboki. Hello. How are you? I'm good. I'm really stressed out about picking a favorite dessert, though. You had a lot of time, too. I know, but they're all so good, and I don't want to offend any of them. It's like I love all desserts except, like, chocolate raspberry things. Oh, my God. (gasps) Wait, you don't like chocolate raspberry? For some reason, that is, like, the one thing I don't like. That's the best chocolate berry combination. I agree. Oh, yeah, I can't do it. Do you like other chocolate berries? Chocolate I'll do strawberries. I can do that. Like, that is really good, actually. Not just, like, I can do it. I will (laughs) consume it. But I guess I've been on a real donut kick lately so i'm gonna go with that i feel like donuts don't even count as dessert donuts are like (laughs) that's breakfast they're like a breakfast it's true every week on size show tangents we get together and try to one-up amaze and delight each other with science facts we're playing for glory but we're also playing for sandbox and we're keeping score i'm in last place I might even be in last place compared to Deboki. That's how few points I have. Uh, <laughs> we do everything we can to stay on topic, but judging by previous conversations, we will not be good at that because we might talk about donuts. So if the rest of the team deems a tangent unworthy, you'll be forced to give up a sandbook. Now, as always, we introduce this week's topic, which I already hinted at a little bit, with the traditional science poem this week by Stephen Chin. I put sugar in my coffee and I put honey in my tea. If you add a little heat, you could probably caramelize my teeth. Candy doughs for breakfast? Sure, that seems fair. What'll we have for dinner? Well, a frosted treat I have prepared. But I know, I know, too much is not good for me. Lactose, fructose, or glucose? Pick your enemy. You've made it very clear I shouldn't eat sugar every moment when I'm waking. So I'll try my best to reduce it, even when I'm baking. But a gram or two here, a sprinkling there, try not to get too irate, about the ways that people consume their carbohydrates. Either way, the discussion around sugar can sometimes get pretty thorny, but I say an unsweetened life like high fructose syrup is pretty corny. Wow, Stefan. I want to watch you write a poem someday. <laughs> yeah, I want to like see inside see the whole your process. brain. Mm. Yeah. When you make a really bad rhyme, how happy you what? are about it. <laughs> I'm just giggling to myself. Yeah. <laughs> or how you imagine things like, yeah. like candy teeth. That's disgusting <laughs> and horrifying. I don't think you realize how horrifying it is and some of the things you say are. You're like the Shakespeare because you invent new concepts mm-hmm. that blow our minds, but oh. instead of like inspiring us, you disgust us. Yeah. <laughs> You're like extremely Dream Shakespeare. <laughs> I'll take it. Edgy Shakespeare? <laughs> Some kind of Mountain Dew Shakespeare. Ooh. So this week's topic is sugar. Sarian Deboki, what is sugar? Well, Stefan said a very key word in his poem, carbohydrates, which are sugars. Oh. And so it's, uh, they're one of the main groups of biomolecules. So carbohydrates are things with carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen, usually in a one to two to one ratio. So like C6H12O6 is a glucose molecule. Mm -hmm. Glucose is one of the the simplest ones. Fructose is a different form of uh, a simple sugar, but then you can get more complicated. So like sucrose is table sugar, and that's a glucose and a fructose molecule bonded together. We have glycogen, which is a polysaccharide that's in our bodies for energy storage. And then in plants, there's cellulose and starch. And one of those is fiber. I think cellulose that's indigestible for us. So it just like clears out our intestines. And starch Mm. is like when you say a food is starchy, that's because it has starch polysaccharides in it. And are all of those sweet 
or some of them are not sweet. Sweetness is about kind of like how our taste receptors on our tongue respond to it. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing it would vary a lot, like depending on the kind of sugar it is. The extent to which we're going to think of it as sweet is going to depend on how it binds to those receptors. Okay. So I think there are animals that will process some sugars as sweet, but they won't taste other sugars the same way. But usually the the simpler sugars are the ones that we think of as activating our taste buds mm-hmm. to, to cause sweetness. So like if you add high fructose corn syrup to something, that is a sweetener. You know, I did not know that sugars and carbohydrates are the same thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah. thanks. That's what's cool about chemistry. All of these things boil down to very simple <laughs> structures that somehow repeat into very weird things that are different from each yeah. other. So like there's complex carbohydrates mm-hmm. and mm. not ones of those. And I feel like one of them is worse for you than the other one is what science says. Science says a lot of things about this stuff. People have a lot of opinions about sugar because it's something that is necessary for our body. So like we need glucose. hmm and to metabolize glucose in order to make energy to do anything. But because sugar tastes good, we've like started adding it to food because Mm -hmm. it tastes good. And now people have all kinds of opinions about like what that is doing to our bodies, but there's not a lot of scientifically backed conclusions. And even some of the conclusions that we have are funded by like big sugar industry or big fats industry. Uh So for example, at some point, in the rel- like the last few decades, there were a bunch of studies funded by sugar companies that found that fat was nutritionally worse for us than sugar. Mm-hmm. But like they were being funded by sugar companies, so the scientists were more inclined to draw conclusions that were in that person, like in the sugar company's favor. And I think a lot of nutrition science is is fairly fraught like that. Mm-hmm. So. So sugar and fat are feuding with each other, basically. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. for like which one's less healthy because everyone wants their own product to sell. Right. And as far as like complex sugars versus simple sugars, there is something to be said about if your body needs to expend more energy to digest something. So like Mm -hmm. if you are eating pasta or if you're eating an apple where there's a lot of other things besides sugar in there and the sugar molecules are bound up uh, or like they're longer chains as opposed to just like individual monomers, which are like one molecule chunks like glucose, then it's like slightly healthier for you because your body has to put in the effort to break it down as opposed to like eating a spoonful of table sugar that's going to get into your bloodstream faster and cause a sugar spike and then mm-hmm. like a decrease, which is what people are like, ah, oh, that's bad if you're you have a sugar rush and then a crash. Okay. But it's more complicated than like sugar bad yeah. because if we cut out all sugar from everything or all carbohydrates from everything, we would die. What is the etymology of sugar? Sucre. Is that part of it? Sucre. Yeah. Uh, that's from old, that's the old French, uh, sucre, oh. okay. which comes from medieval Latin sucarum and from Arabic sucrar, mm. which Hall seems to like trace back to sugar, but also like grit or gravel. Mm-hmm. And then glucose is from Greek basically pronounced the same but spelled a little differently. That means sweet wine. Where'd the wine part come from? This etymology page says it first was obtained from grape sugar. So maybe they had a lot of grapes and then we're like, this is the only sweet thing I've ever tasted in my whole life. (laughs) All right. Well, I think we have a pretty in-depth view of sugar. More than usual. More than I could have imagined. We don't usually know anything about anything, but this time we did. So now it's time for... 
where one of our panelists has prepared three science facts for your education and enjoyment, but only one of those facts is real. The other two are big fat lies, and you guys have to figure out which one it is. If you do, you get a sandbuck. If you don't, I get a sandbuck because this time I'm lying to you. So here are my facts. One thing that humans and bees have in common is that we both love a sweet treat. <laughs> bees spend their lives in search of nectar, just like we spend our lives in search of Oreo cookies and gummy worms. And just like competing candy in the candy bar aisle, flowers have different ways of advertising themselves to make sure bees pick them. Which of these flower nectar facts is true? Number one, some flowers have light-sensing organs that can detect the shadows of a nearby hovering bee trying to pick out a snack. The flower then increases the amount of sugar in its nectar to try to woo the bee. Okay. Number two, some flowers' nectar contains nicotine, and when bees drink this nectar, they become basically brand loyal, remembering and seeking out that flower at a higher rate than bees usually do that kind of thing. Or number three, in big cities, flowers face stiff competition, as city-dwelling bees have been found to go for soda and other processed sugars over flower nectar. So, licensing organs, extra sugar... Nicotine, brand loyalty, addiction, basically, <laughs> or big city bees love soda pop. I, I love the idea of like big tobacco flowers, oh, yeah. <laughs> like just big super nefarious. <laughs> so the nicotine one seems just reasonable because I feel like I have a vague recollection of bees also being addicted to things, mm, like experiencing mm -hmm. addiction in mm. in similar behavioral ways. Behavioral. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the shadow one. I don't know plants have a lot of receptors that I don't know yeah. about. Plus, there's so just, many things that causes shadows, like if it was a cloudy I, day. Yeah. Oh. How do they know it's a bee? To. No, this Can is a good point. have a bee-shaped receptor? Well, like what you maybe do if you're a flower and you're really dedicated to this approach is like you have like a spot selection receptor. Like mm -hmm. it has to like discern between shadows just like in a small area versus like mm. the whole flower. Yeah. But Flowers don't have a lot else to think about either. That's true. <laughs> true. They just, they just, just think just, about how to, yeah. to find bees all day. <laughs> and then the soda one, I feel like wasps I've seen drink soda. Uh, yeah. I don't know. They just are. Oh, no. What? Well, I had an image of like at a picnic, I see soda cans left out and like bees coming to them. But I think it might just be wasps that I've seen. Mm. <gasps> I'm going to say nicotine because that seems like a plant thing anyway. Oh, Duboki, you go. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they all seem like they could be so true. Well, no, I think. I think the shadow one <laughs> seems like BS. Like BS. BS. <laughs> hmm. I feel like I could see the big cities thing being a real thing. You know what? I'm going with nicotine. I have a feeling. Mm. Mm. The answer was the nicotine one. Oh. <laughs> I was so scared. <laughs> so the nicotine one. Lots of plants make nicotine as a way to stop leaf-eating creatures from eating them because it's toxic, I guess, in a high enough dosage. And plants that make nicotine, like tomato plants, like tons of plants that aren't just tobacco plants have small amounts of nicotine in their nectar and pollen. So in 2017, some scientists were like, hey, wouldn't that be bad for the bee? Or like make the bee not want to go to that plant. So they did what scientists do and they made a bunch of fake flowers that had four varying levels of nicotine from no nicotine to a bunch of nicotine. And they let bumblebees go at the flowers. They, the flowers all had different designs too, corresponding to how much nicotine they had. They let the bumblebees go to the flowers. And then the next time they let the bumblebees go to the flowers, they went to the flowers that had a little tiny bit of nicotine over any other type of flower. Mm. And they were repelled by the flowers that had a ton of nicotine. 
So then they switched the flower designs around and they put the bumblebees back out and the bumblebees still went to the design that had previously had the like palatable amount of nicotine, even if it had too much nicotine in it now. So basically it just showed that they have like brand loyalty. Like they will go to that flower that has a little bit of nicotine over any type of flower, even if the other flowers in the area have a better like nutritional value Mm. than the nicotine flower. I guess they get addicted. It didn't say that one way or the yeah. other. I don't know what it is. Yeah. They just get like a little buzz from it, maybe because mm-hmm. they're bees. They yeah, like uh, the way it feels. Yeah, <laughs> we s- mostly smoke tobacco. As far as like cigarettes, mm-hmm. is it just that like other plants don't have enough nicotine to make them super smokable? Probably. Uh, you want to smoke a tomato? Or yeah. Something? <laughs> <laughs> so my uninformed guess is that the only thing we cultivate tobacco for is nicotine Mm -hmm. whereas like other Mm. nightshade plants are either poisonous to us so i think that like belladonna which is the stuff that was used to like dilate your eyes Mm -hmm. it still is used to dilate for fashion dilate your eyes yeah for fashion or as like eye doctors so they're either deadly or we grow them for food like potatoes or tomatoes or or eggplants and so tobacco seems like one that's just like it's just a leaf and probably has a certain concentration of nicotine that we realized you could smoke. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe through human intervention have made it even more so. Possibly, yeah, yeah like selective breeding or, or, yeah. So it's not impossible, Stephanie. Keep the dream Okay, alive. all right. So the flowers with light-sensing organs, a 2018 study of evening primrose flowers found that they can use their bowl-shaped petals to pick up the specific vibrations of pollinating insects' wing beats. Oh, cool. And that then, does make sense as like a more specific detector. Yeah, when they detect that sound, they increase the amount of sugar in their nectar by up to 20%. Scientists think that this happens because nectar is costly to make for a flower. So if they're only making it when they know that an insect is around or like they're only making that certain quality of nectar when they know that they can attract a pollinating insect then that's just better for them Hmm. like they can survive longer they have more resources to go around for other processes they need to do how do the plants detect the sound i think it so they're pretty sure it's from the petals because they pulled petals off of other of the same flower and they weren't making more nectar when they so they would shoot the bee sound at the flower and they think it vibrates the petals Uh in the right way to make them be like aha bees are in and city bees in 2016 a study in Raleigh North Carolina found that kind of to researchers surprise local bees did not have more processed sugar in their diet than the humble country (laughs) bees they tested for carbon 13 which I guess is present in sugar cane and Mm. in in specific bees and they didn't find any more of it than they find any other kind of bee which was surprising because there's lots of like soda pop and candy all Mm. over cities Mm. Uh, they don't know if this would hold up for even bigger cities in Raleigh North Carolina because Raleigh has 50% green space compared to like New York City which only has Mm. 10% green space Mm. but it seems like they don't like our our human sugars good job bees yeah good job bees (laughs) very healthy choice that you're making conscientious right. next up we are going to take a short break and then we'll be back for the fact off SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money. If I asked you how many subscription services you had, you think you could name them all? And before you just start naming streaming apps, remember that basically everything has a subscription these days. Video games, dating apps, food delivery apps. It's a subscription service world. We're just living in it. And with all of these subscriptions, it can feel like money is just flying out of your account. And that, frankly, sucks. 
but Rocket Money can help. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money can help you negotiate to lower some bills for you by up to 20%. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in total canceled subscriptions. Escape from the planet of the subscription services and stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. Sideshow Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as (laughs) the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the 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 part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, <laughs> yeah. Shopify has all kinds of little tools to help you with that to help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff. Uh, because it's a, you know, I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my first- basement. It was my basement of my own home that I was renting, the downstairs of. If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. We're back from our short break now. <laughs> Let's go over the scores, shall we? Stefan, you have two points, putting you in the oh, lead. Yeah. Sari and me each have one point, and Devoki, unfortunately, <laughs> not so great. You don't no, have any points, and you're in so last well. place. But you have a chance to get some points now because it's time for the fact off, where two panelists bring science facts to present to the others in an attempt to blow their minds. The presentees, which is me and Stefan, each have a Hank Buck. Oh my nope. God! Why would I say that of all people? <laughs> each have a Sam Buck to award to the fact that they like the most. But if both facts are terrible, we won't give anybody any points. So <laughs> they better be good. So the two people who are presenting, Sari and Deboki, the battle of the big brains, <laughs> and to decide who goes first, Stefan has a trivia. question question for you. The United States claims the glory of the highest average for sugar consumption per capita. How many grams of sugar does the average U.S. resident eat per day? Okay, so this is a bad question for me because I just eat (laughs) food without looking at nutrition labels Mm -hmm. and I eat like 
a bag of candy sometimes. <laughs> and I have no concept of what a gram is. <laughs> so 150? Is that smaller? Ba- I don't know. I'm. We can't tell you yet. I know. You can't <laughs> tell me. 150 uh, is my guess. I'll go double, Sari. I'll go 300 Ooh. grams. Wow. The answer is 126.4. Very <gasps> nice. Somehow got extremely close. <laughs> Wild. <laughs> I was like thinking of a bag of Sour Patch Kids. I'm like, that's probably like my daily intake of sugar. So apparently in a small pack of Sour Patch Kids, um, like a fun size pack, like very fun. Oh, very small. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there is 19 grams of sugar. Oh, that's not bad at all. You could eat like so many of those. <laughs> I want to go first, I think, because it's related to the truth or fail. So I think it'll be a nice transition. Mm. So honeybees aren't the only insects that store sweet, sugary goo for later. There are stingless bees that make honey, honey wasps, and even these insects called honeypot ants. And in a few different species across the Americas, one of them is myrmic. Cocystis mexicanus, but also there are species in Africa and Australia. They have a food storage system to help them through times when there isn't as much water or flowers blooming or other things like that, and they still need sugar to give them energy. The way they do it is certain worker ants, so like workers, a class of ants, not soldiers or drones or the queen, mm-hmm. become what are called repletes who hang from a ceiling and act as sugary food storage orbs. And this is because of an anatomical adaptation of their butts. Their abdomen is made of stiff plates called sclerites that are connected by a squishy membrane called the arthrodial membrane. So like a balloon, mm-hmm. as more like nectar and stuff goes inside them, it can their butt can inflate. Oh. So the plates go really small and far apart and it's mostly membrane, but it can also deflate and look like a normal ant butt. Uh-huh. So they're hanging from the ceiling, and when another worker brushes their antenna, they're like a vending machine, and they just like barf up one Whoa. serving of food. I was like, okay. are they are they butt suckers? No. <laughs> so they brush their antennas, and they're like, food, please. And then they barf up one <laughs> serving size of food that either that ant eats or carries away to someone else that needs it. So this is their sugar storage system, and here's a picture of them. They can get as big as small grapes. Why oh, do they wow. have to hang off the ceiling? To get out of the Ew. way for other people. <laughs> I love that they're called repletes. Like, it makes it sound so sci-fi. Uh-huh. Like, that is yeah. what, like, if we had the sci-fi version of this world mm-hmm. and there was an organism that did that for us, we would call them repletes. Yeah. <laughs> so it's mostly just, like, an adaptation for them to store. They don't have honeycombs to store honey or anything. This is just, like, they use their, their fellow ants as nectar storage. I want to study the brains of this, like, class of ants to see mm-hmm. if they're happy. That's a good point, <laughs> you know? Ant worker satisfaction yeah. is really important. Yeah, it seems like it could survey? either be like a live in the dream or a living nightmare. Yeah, yeah. no can, in between. Oh, can they eat from their own butt sacks? I assume so. So like that's how they don't die because they're not dead. They have to stay alive so that they can be a vending machine. They can mm-hmm. just sit there. They don't even have TVs to watch while yeah. they're hanging off the ceiling. <laughs> yeah, you gotta just think thoughts. Oh, weird. <laughs> <laughs> and then be ready for someone to brush your antenna and be like, oh, time to barf again. <laughs> Maybe we're all just ants hanging on the ceiling. You ever think about that? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Beautiful fact. Thank you. Equal parts horrifying and beautiful. (laughs) Like all the best facts are. (laughs) Deboki. Okay. um, Well, this fact will take a turn. The Port Wentworth Sugar Plant was built in Georgia in 1917 and was eventually bought by the Imperial Sugar Company. 
The plant operated for around 80 years without any problems, until February 7th, 2008, when the refinery was suddenly torn apart by an explosion. Mm. Refineries have, like, lots of heavy machinery, so you, like, might think, like, okay, some of this machinery, like, something went super wrong, Mm -hmm. and that's what caused the explosion. But it was actually the sugar. Um, More specifically, the sugar dust that was released by the machinery during a lot of this refinery process. So sugar is flammable. Like, so if you've held a marshmallow over a fire too long, like I've done that, and like suddenly you're like, oh, my marshmallow is on fire. It's organic. It burns. But like when we're cooking, we're not really too afraid of things exploding when we're dealing with sugar. But in the Imperial Sugar Refinery, the equipment they were using was basically dispersing like a lot of sugar dust everywhere. So according to a report carried out by NASA after the explosion, there were several inches to several feet of sugar dust on light fixtures and beams. But the real problem was the sugar dust that was floating around in the air. Once one of those ignites, because it's floating around, it has access to all of this oxygen around it. So that oxygen will fuel the flame. Plus, there are other sugar dust particles that are floating around in the air. So there's this whole chain reaction where one sugar dust ignites, it then sets off another particle and another particle, and it just keeps building and building. And so especially if you're not in a well-ventilated area, like as those things are igniting, the air in the room expands. And, like, if it happens fast enough, you get an explosion. So this is actually called a dust explosion, and it's not restricted to sugar. It can happen, like, with wood and other sources of particles. It's really just, like, things that can ignite and that are, like, accumulating too much in an unventilated room. But that's just the primary explosion, which is, like, called the primary explosion because when it explodes, it will basically disperse other particles in other areas, which can then keep that chain going. So you'll actually get secondary explosions that can be even more powerful than that primary explosion. In the case of the sugar refinery, they're not actually quite sure what like set off that initial ignition, but they think it was most likely the hot surface of an overheated ball bearing that just like interacted with a piece of sugar and that just like got them going. And this was considered one of the worst dust explosions in decades. And the the worst part is that investigations showed that it was preventable. The sugar industry had like known about the risks of this since like the 1920s. And it was really just that they weren't cleaning things and they weren't taking the safety issues seriously. Again, the rest of us, we don't really need to be worried about sugar dust explosions in our homes. The particles have to be pretty large, apparently like four times larger than a grain of table salt. And like from what I've read, the dust layer has to be like about one thirty-second of an inch, which is actually like when you're dealing with sugar is pretty thick. Mm-hmm. And the room has to be unventilated. So this was like mostly a lesson to people in the industry mm-hmm. and to NASA, which is also worried about enclosed paces. When did this happen? In 2008. Oh. Yeah. This, uh, yeah, the whole time I was like, this is an old timey factory no. story. They just didn't know any better. Mm. No, this was recent. Ugh. Is it common that NASA looks into like explosions like that? Or is I don't it, do know. they investigate weird explosions? Is that kind of their... I was surprised to find this report. And, like, my sense from reading their conclusions is that they mostly want to, like, apply what they learn to, like, their own kind of enclosed right. system. To life sort of things, capsules mm. and stuff. Yeah. Okay. And I from it seems like this explosion was, like, a really big event. Like, it was, like, really big in, like, the industrial world of, like, mm-hmm. just what, what are we yeah. doing in terms of safety? Did people die? Yes, yeah. Unfortunately, there were like 14, 14 people died and a lot of injuries. So yeah. there was a lot of 
anger, obviously, mm-hmm. over the explosion. Was there a certain level of cleanliness, like the factory was supposed to be that it wasn't? Yes, or, yeah. Okay. So, like, they basically were, when they, when they did the investigation after, they were just like, yep, they did not, like, do any of the safety protocols. Okay. They weren't cleaning things. Like, again, like, several feet of mm-hmm. sugar dust, like, that's a lot. Yeah. And, like, they had just been doing, like, some modifications, I think, on one of the areas, which, it, like, enclosed it even oh, further. Oh. And so, like, that's even worse because you're making the volume smaller. You're packing all of that in. Like, it can just burn and expand okay. so quickly. It's interesting, too, because I think sugar is especially one of those things. Like, like we were talking about with the definition section, like, we don't really understand what a carbohydrate is. And we don't really understand what a sugar is. And we can say that it turns into energy in our body but this is a very clear example of how like no it is fuel it is energy uh just packaged in a different way and then when it's released okay Stefan, are you ready i think so i'll count then Uh, up to three one two three go either way down up we'll know one two three all right nice split well very good facts Mm -hmm. excellent facts in fact, oh, I would whoa. say. And now it's time for Ask the Science Couch, where we will ask a question from one of our listeners to our couch of finely honed scientific minds. At Kimabo Peep wants to know, does sugar cause changes in behavior? I feel like that is what mm. you, when you're a kid, you're watching all kinds of cartoons where people are eating sugar and bouncing off the walls. Mm-hmm. I've never even thought that it wouldn't be the case that that is the, what happens. So is it? It seems like it is mostly a myth. Okay. So I, I want to preface this whole section with the fact that like we are not doctors here the nutrition field is very fraught with a lot of different mm-hmm. opinions and hyperactivity is something that apparently a lot of people have debated about for a long time mm-hmm. but it seems like the idea came from something called the Feingold hypothesis there was a doctor in like the 1970s i think who suggested that a diet with artificial food coloring preservatives and like sugars would make kids hyperactive. And this Uh is before we really understood ADHD really well. Mm -hmm. And so they were specifically talking hyperactive and like ADHD symptoms. And so like cutting out those things would reduce hyperactivity. But according to like a meta-analysis from 1983 and further research up until the present day, foods high in refined sugar don't increase hyperactivity by any measurable amount kids' bodies regulate those sugars properly. And if anything, like you get a short energy boost from it, Mm. but it shouldn't affect behavior to the intensity that these claims are making. Mm. And some doctors think that it's like has to do with the social aspect of it. So like times when kids are generally more hyperactive are like a birthday party or Halloween when it's otherwise like an exciting thing. And so your kid is probably just excited because they're excited, not because they're eating a bunch of cake. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, you're blowing the lid off everything. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But there are still some people that are like, it it does seem like for my child especially, it is associated with hyperactivity. And I don't want to like invalidate those things. I would like people to think more critically about why they're drawing those conclusions, Uh but Mm -hmm. I'm not telling anyone how to raise their kids (laughs) on SciShow tangents. (laughs) Good, I was just going to feed my my future children lots of sugar. I know. Also, anecdotally, I eat so much sugar all the time and I was fine. I was like a fine kid. (laughs) Yeah, you have have a fairly sleepy demeanor. (laughs) Yeah, I do. You talk about being sleepy all the time. (laughs) 
people mention addiction to sugar, which is like an inherently behavioral trait. So addiction in psychology is both like neurochemistry and behavioral changes. So Mm -hmm. if you're addicted to like hard drugs or something or alcohol, then that usually involves um, a physical dependence on that and changes in behavior so you like recede from your social life in order Mm. to like use this substance Mm. and so by those definitions sugar isn't really addictive and so people say sugar is addictive because it lights up the reward pathways in your brain Mm. but like a lot of things do that Mm -hmm. and not all of those things are addictive largely it doesn't seem like people are willing to put themselves like in pain or in physical harm or recede from their social groups to get more sugar. Right. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't match the addictive quality of uh, other addictive sub- substances. Huh. Huh. But it's like a catchy headline to say like, Oreos are addictive. Yeah. This has been the most informative episode of SciShow. In like a long time. Ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then this is the thing that blew my mind. So I saved it for the end. <laughs> yes. But there is potentially a positive effect of sugar on behavior for old people where there's originals that's why they're they're housing those things down all the time where there have been a couple studies from the food and agriculture organization of the united nations and the world health organization that have shown that a glucose or fructose supplement seems to improve memory for older people because like their glucose levels is depleted and so if like they got a little boost before a a like memory exercise or something then they like performed cognitively better and so a little sugar for an old person as a treat might be okay yeah just can we like define the old like old person as like 30 yeah like Yeah. here we are what is the age range of that Actually, it just says elderly human subjects, and I didn't <laughs> okay. trace back the study to yeah. find. I think it was behind enough paywalls, so I didn't find how elderly <laughs> is elderly. Okay. But I think, like qualitatively, your memory starts to deteriorate from old age because mm-hmm. that like naturally happens as a part of mm-hmm. us growing older. Right, yeah, it's already happening. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, so then eat a little sugar. <laughs> We're not eating enough candy, Stefan. We gotta yeah. step it up. Eat like two Sour Patch Kids packs. <laughs> yeah. You're good. I think I'll remember everything that ever happened to you in your entire life. Oh, no, yeah. Well, yeah. I better avoid it. <laughs> if you want to ask the Science Couch your question, follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents, where we'll tweet upcoming topics out for you to ask us about. Thank you to at PetunaF, at Dana001, and everybody else who tweeted us your questions for this and every episode. Final Sandbuck scores. Deboki and me tied for last place with yes. one point. <laughs> Sari and Stefan tied for Ooh. first place with High two five. points. Yeah. So my two episode score is three then, right? That's pretty I good. believe so. That's yeah. great. Yes. You can buy some stuff in the Sandbuck store. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little eraser, a yeah. little bendy dinosaur. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, all the props rolls. on the yeah. shelf behind us. <laughs> Deboki, it's the end of our time with you for now yeah. thank you so right. much for being here and for being smart in Hank's stead <laughs> thank you for having me it was a lot of fun where can people find more of you so you can find me on twitter at okidoki underscore boki um, but I will be hosting Crash Course Organic Chemistry um, which will be starting mid-April approximately and you can also see more of my work at Journey to the Microcosmos which I do writing for and it is awesome highly recommended yeah. for all of these things and you're one of the forces behind this show. Yes. So you're, you touch every episode. Yeah. Your ghost is always with us. Yeah.
If you like the show and you want to help us out, it's really easy to do that. First, leave us a review wherever you listen. It's very helpful and it helps us know what you think about the show, what we can improve, what we should keep doing. And we'll be looking at iTunes reviews for topic ideas for future episodes. Second, tweet out your favorite moment of the episode. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents to Book, are you ready for this? Just tell people about us. Great us. job. Oops. <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> and if you want to listen to SciShow Tangents ad-free, you can do that on Luminary. Thank you for joining us for SciShow Tangents. I have been Sam Schultz. I've been Stefan Chin. I've been Sari Riley. I'm Deboki Chakravarti. SciShow Tangents is a co-production of Complexly and the wonderful team at WNYC Studios. It's created by all of us and produced by Caitlin Hoffmeister and me, Sam Schultz, who also edits a lot of these episodes along with Hiroko Matsushima. Our sound design is by Joseph Tuna Medish. Our social media organizer is Victoria Bongiorno. And we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. <laughs> But one more thing. Rectal prolapse okay. is... <laughs> All right. Just end it. Yeah, yeah. just end at the end of every episode. Rectal prolapse is where your rectum sort of slides out of your body oh, due dear. to muscle, yeah. muscle strain or weakness. Mm-hmm. And one non-surgical way to reduce rectal prolapse <gasps> is apparently sprinkling granulated sugar, a.k.a. sucrose, <gasps> on the prolapse for like 15 minutes to absorb what? extra water and make it shrink. Where do you learn these things? <laughs> who, who discovered this? Yeah. Uh, no. Also that. <laughs> I think they figured out first that sugar was a desiccant, and then someone oh. was like, try spink- sprinkling it on your prolapsed rectum. <laughs> They're all just standing Don't. around looking at a prolapsed rectum, throwing out ideas. <laughs> like, what kind of desiccants do we They're have? pouring all kinds of spices and sugars and stuff on it, see what works. Seasoning it like a little turkey. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh God. <laughs>